Hello friends, I'm Vance Rains, Senior Pastor of First Church Coral Springs. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this is a source of inspiration and faith as you grow in your walk with Christ. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you. You all, you know, you get special points in heaven when you come on rainy days, so uh, congratulations. Most of you need it, so no, I was just... Some of you, no, no. So um, today uh, we're going to be continuing our series that we're calling Magnetic Faith, and I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. Um, And I want to talk today specifically about being a magnetic community. Uh, All of us are parts of community or have been parts of some kind of community. I think I've mentioned to you in the past, um, in college, I was a member of a fraternity and uh, lived part of my college life in a fraternity house. That's not bragging. Uh, there, uh, There was a lot about that that wasn't particularly holy and that I wouldn't want you to know about. Um, But there are some uh, aspects of that uh, experience that I still really do cherish and probably surprising uh, moments. Um, Like, I I have vivid memories of Saturday mornings in the fraternity house where as, you know, gradually we'd end up, you know, crawling out of our beds and our boxer shorts and bathrobes and we'd all congregate around the television and watch cartoons. Uh, and eat cereal. I just, I don't know why, but I just, that, that is a very pleasant, positive memory for me. Um, also on, uh, in the afternoons, we must have watched a lot of TV, but I remember in the afternoons, four o'clock every afternoon was a rerun of Star Trek. Uh, and we'd sit around and just watch Star Trek together. And I, I don't know why, but I cherish that. Uh, after our meetings on Sunday nights, we'd all pile in cars together and go grocery shopping to get our groceries for the week. Uh, and security guards, for some reason, followed us around the grocery store. I don't know why. But again, like just these are memories of, of brotherhood. They're memories of camaraderie. They're memories of, of just being together, knowing that there was a place in this world we belong. And I think that's ultimately what community is. So back to our theme, magnetic faith. Magnetic faith. We're using the image of a magnet as a metaphor, uh, saying that Jesus is highly magnetic. That when he walked among us, people were just drawn to him. Like a magnet, magnet draws metal to it. People just couldn't help but be drawn to Jesus and his message and his love, and they still are. There's millions upon millions of Christians in the world today still magnetically drawn to Jesus. But there's one big difference. When he walked this earth, they were drawn to him. But now, the Bible says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And so his magnetism is in us and through us. We're the draw now. When people watch us and hear us and see how we live our lives and the quality of our relationships, his magnetism is intended to be magnetic through us. That's what it means when the Bible says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the aroma of Christ. We are the bearers of Christ's magnetism. And I want to suggest today that a highly attractive A highly magnetic way of drawing people to Jesus is in community, is through 
community. Now, now there's all kinds of communities. You know, your, your office place is a kind of community. Uh, your your uh, tennis team is a kind of community. Your bowling league is a kind of community. Uh, 12-step groups like AA is a kind of community. Um, on and on. Like anytime people gather around a particular cause or interest or function, community, relationship forms. Now, there are things that we hold in common with all these different kinds of communities. But the one thing that makes us community as the church, as Christians, is that our community is centered around the person of Jesus, right? Like the one thing that holds us together, the one thing that draws us together as a people, the one thing that is common among all of us, common related to the word community, common is Jesus. We are a community of Jesus. And that means there's something about us that's intended to be a revelation of of who he is, of his character, of his life, of his values, of his ways. I would say above all else, his love. There's that old song, they'll know we are Christians by our love, our love for each other, our love for our neighbor, the love that permeates who we are. You've heard me speak before about a man named Jean Vanier. He was a Catholic priest who formed uh, residential communities of people with special needs and their caregivers. And he says this, a Christian community should do as Jesus did. It's attraction, there's the word, magnetic, it's attraction must lie in the radiance cast by the love of brothers. That, that when we love each other, it radiates and attracts. The people are drawn to community like a magnet because there's something in us that desires it. All of us, I believe, are hardwired for community. We all are looking for some place in this world to belong. Some place in this world to be accepted as we are. Some place where we can, we can let down our defenses and we can quit faking it and we can just be known and we can know others in that same kind of way. I believe God made us this way. I, got, I believe God put this craving in our heart. And I'll explain that in just a moment. I, I think that's why family matters so much. Because let's be honest, some of our families are a mess. I mean, some, of, some families are pretty dysfunctional. And yet we're still drawn to them because that's the place we belong. It's, it's just kind of hardwired into us. I think that's why people join gangs. I think that's people, why people form clubs. I think it's why there's organizations around special interests. I think that's why we, we play team sports, not just individual sports, because it's something about belonging with others. And let me just make a clarifying statement right here. Church is about community, but I think sometimes when we talk about church, we think about the institution, right? Well, I mean, I have Methodist, or I go to First Church. We think that this building is church, or I go to 930 Church, like, you know, that, that, that a worship service is church. All those are expressions of church, but they're not church. We're church. We're church. The Bible isn't talking so much about the kind of building you build or the music you play in your service or what time your services are or programs you offer. The Bible's talking about us as we are the church. Remember that old thing, right? Or I never can get it right. You know what I'm talking about, right? When I was initiated into my fraternity, I heard these words for the first time. 
how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That was my fraternity ritual. And by the way, I probably shouldn't have told you. I was sworn to secrecy not to share that. But uh, <laughs> my solemn oath or something. But I didn't know then that's Bible. <laughs> that was part of our fraternity ritual. It, it, it was a little different. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity is what it said. But that's from the Psalms. That's about us. Psalm 133 verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. But then look at the, the remaining statement there, the, the next verse 2 of Psalm 133. It's like precious oil. He's saying like when we are unified in our life together, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the color of his robe. Like that's weird, right? Community is like having oil poured on your head. Uh, what? Now, if you were here last summer, we had a series on Exodus. Remember that story of God leading the Israelites out of Egypt? And you may remember that name, Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And Aaron was chosen to be the high priest, the first high priest of Israel. And this is a reference to his ordination. He was anointed. It was an image of the Holy Spirit being given. Oil poured over his head, running through his beard, down on his vestments as the priest. And that meant that he had been set aside in that community for something special. That he and his other priests would be the ones to go to God on behalf of the people. They, they would make prayers. They would offer incense. They would make sacrifices. They had been set aside as a holy people to represent the people to God and God to the people. Notice what he's saying. How good and pleasant it is when, when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It's like the ordination of Aaron. Community is a holy thing. Like when we come together in unity, he's saying that's a special thing. That's not common. That is a precious thing. It's anointed with the Spirit of God to be set aside in this world as the light of Christ to the world in the darkness. That, that's what he's saying in essence. Now, I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we've gotten in this habit of thinking that the Bible is really about how I, how you individually, we take these rules and we apply them to make sure God doesn't get upset with us. It's like this instruction manual for me how to live my life. I think that's a misreading of the Bible. I think the Bible is primarily a book that tells us what it means to be in community together as God's chosen people and how we experience God in our midst and how we offer God's love to one another. I think that's primarily what the Bible gives us is stories about how to do that better. And the problem when we don't do that well, when we lose sight of who's supposed to be the core of our community. So I would argue that one of the main themes from start to finish in the Bible is about community. Let me make my case. Begins with God, right? The whole Bible starts with God. Before anything else existed, God existed. Well, who is God? We as Christians say something unique about God. We say he's a trinity. That God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there is such unity, there is such cooperation, there is such um, um, connectivity between the three persons that we don't worship three gods, we worship how many gods? One God and three persons, three persons and one God. We worship a community. 
but a, a unified community of one person. Everybody got that figured out? Yeah, right. It's a pretty complex theological idea. But that is who we worship. That for eternity, God has been a community. So then when God starts the act of creating the heavens and the earth, and he comes to the time he's going to create people, he uses this language. God says, let us create humans in our image. You notice God speaks in plural? And that as God is saying that we are going to now be the image bearers of God, we are now going to bear the marks of God's self-identity, God speaking in plural. Let us create, God, create humans in our image. Go to the second chapter of Genesis. God creates the first human, Adam, and immediately God seems to recognize, I'm not done yet. I thought, thought, thought I had finished up my work. I'm not done because it's not good for man to what? Immediately, God recognizes we need relationships. God's designed us that way. And so God begins a community of two people. Family, that's what family is. It's a small community. They have two sons, Cain and Abel, and here the problems really get started. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. Ever feel like killing your sibling? Don't do it, but, you know, it's understandable you have that feeling. It started way back then. And God comes to Cain after he kills his brother Abel and says, where's your brother Abel? And Cain's question back to God is, am I my brother's keeper? Well, God doesn't answer, but you know the answer, right? What's the answer? Yeah. So the issue isn't just, you know, you shouldn't kill your brother. That's not the issue. The issue is not only are you not supposed to kill your brother, you're supposed to take care of your brother. You're supposed to be the protector of your brother. You're supposed to love your brother. What'd you do? You killed your brother. Right? And so here we see the, the beginning of the breakdown of community, that, that what we're called to is a, is a mutually loving, protecting, nurturing, caring community. But sometimes community is broken by Cain and Abel. Now then God begins the work of saving the world. Now how does God do that? God could save this world any way God wanted to. God chooses to do it in a particular odd kind of way I think God goes and finds an old couple Abram and Sarah later known Abraham and Sarah and he says I'm going to make you into a family which was impossible because they were beyond childbearing age and they'd never had a child he says I'm going to bless you and you are going to become a nation later he comes back to them and says I'm going to give you so many descendants children and grandchildren great grandchildren they'll outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore they'll outnumber the stars in the sky he said I'm going to create a family to save the world and what do we call that family Israel the nation of Israel is God's family God, God's plan for saving the world. Many, 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 many generations after Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, they have a great, 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 great grandchild. His name is Jesus, descendant of Abraham and Sarah, the plan, a member of the family. And what was one of the first things that Jesus did when he started his public ministry? He started gathering people around him. He formed a community. He chose 12 disciples, but it wasn't just 12. There were lots and lots, dozens of people following Jesus. Jesus dies a sacrificial death. He rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit who gives birth to what? The church, a community. I want you to just hear what happens when the Holy Spirit was given. Acts 2, 44 through 47. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. Common is the root of the word community, right? I'm going to talk about the other part in a minute. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And then hear this, the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. There was something about their life together that was highly attractive. People, I want in. I see what's happening with you. I want to be part of that. Notice how this defines church and community. They had life together. They shared their life together. They shared possessions with each other, holding all things in common. They helped those among them in need. They met every day in the temple and in homes for prayer and worship. They shared meals together. Now, I'm kind of walking my way through the Bible here. I want to make an argument that if you start here, Acts chapter 2, and just look from that point all the way into the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, the number one topic there is community. The number one topic, that it's all about how we relate to each other. It's how we overcome differences and divisions. It's how, how we overcome uh, um, conflict. It's how we are to love and nurture and remind ourselves that we are like Aaron, a set-apart holy people. It's all about community. That's, that's the biggest topic in the New Testament. David Anderson says, when community among believers is working right, there is nothing else as beautiful, nothing else as pleasant or divine. Now think about the word community. I said it's common as part of the word community. The other part is unity. Another major, major theme of the New Testament. Again, Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Did you know the night before Jesus died, on his mind was the unity of his followers. He says, may they be one as we are one. He's talking to, to the Trinity. It's a conversation within God. May they be one as we are one. They, may they be brought to complete, what? Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Notice that, how attractive it is. The more unified we are, the more attractive it is. The more the Spirit unifies us, the more the Spirit draws people to be part of what we are doing here. Another writer speaking about unity, Dieter Riggs, says, this is what it means to be one. We are so intimately connected, first to God, then one another, that it becomes impossible to determine where one ends and the other begins. That's unity, right? When our lives become inseparable, when our lives become that level of interconnected. I don't know of any passage in scripture that does a better job of describing the kind of community I'm talking about than Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with the first, say, six verses. I just want you to listen to it, but, but pay attention. Like this, is, this is what it's talking about that we're called to be. Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is all of us, that we've been called into a particular kind of life. I'm challenging you to be worthy of that calling, Paul says. And what would that be? What, what do I need to do to be worthy of being part of this life I've been called to? Notice, 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's what makes me worthy. And that's all about how we relate to each other. I'll come back to that. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It begins with how we relate to each other. What does it mean to be worthy? Well, it's simple. Be humble. And humble just simply means I'm no better or worse than anybody else. I, I'm, I am the, the bearer of God's image and so are you. And I'm going to treat you that way and you're going to treat me that way. That's what humility is. Be gentle. That means our interactions. Am I harsh in my words to you? Am I condescending? Am I punitive? Am I ugly? Or am I kind and warm and friendly? Be patient with one another. And notice patience is hard because, you know, I get impatient. What he's saying there is sometimes we're going to get impatient with each other. That, that sometimes like we don't all get along. Sometimes we struggle with each other. Sometimes you, you, know, you step on my toes a little too much. Be patient with each other. Don't get irritable. Be patient. And then bear with one another in love. Always love. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Bear with one another in love even when you find each other irritating. And if we do that, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now here's the reality of the situation. There's a lot that divides us. I mean, even within the church, there are things that divide us. Should we play organ music or should we have a band? Is it better to worship at 9.30 or 11? Should the church go this direction? Should the church go that direction? What's our stance on, on sexuality? That's a big issue in the church right now. There's a lot that divides us. Is it okay to support this political party and candidate or this one? There's a lot that can divide us. But he reminds us, when things divide you, don't forget, there's one body. All these differences that seem so important to you, don't forget, there's one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He's saying, in essence, when things divide us, don't forget your unity. Like when we get in on each other's nerves, don't forget, you are called like Christ to be humble and gentle and to bear with one another in love. When we, when we get focused on the minors, don't forget the majors. One Lord. One faith, one baptism. These are the things that matter most. Rob Bell says, The beautiful thing is to join with a church that's gathered and find yourself looking around thinking, what could this group of people possibly have in common? I love that. Right? I mean, the church is intended to be multi-generational and male and female and people with lighter skin tones and darker skin tones and people that speak different accents. And somebody might walk in and go, how did this group of people ever get together? Because they're looking at the externals. How, how do Republicans and Democrats manage to get along? How, how do, why, why would these young people be with these old people and vice versa? Well, because there's this one faith, one baptism, one Lord thing that unites us. We're not called to homogeny. We're called to diversity and unity in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I did some research this week. I just kind of wanted to see, you know, what, what's, what's the current conversation around community and so forth. And I was initially shocked, but I've changed my mind, initially shocked by the number of recent studies, articles, reports, saying that we're lonelier than ever. I mean, population's growing. We live in cities. We're drawn together into these neighborhoods. Like we've got, We're around people more than ever. We're more connected on social media than ever. Study after study. I mean, recently, study after study is saying we're lonely. I one, read one that said that the baby boomer generation is the loneliest generation in American history. It's a study, massive study just done. Another massive study done at exactly the same time said the newest generation, they're calling it Generation Z, from zero through high school, is the loneliest generation in American history. So it's a competition between the baby boomers and the kids, the grandparents and grandkids. Who gets to be lonelier? I mean, that's, we're living in a lonely world, you know, and so I'm, I'm going to go back. I said, I believe God created us for community with a craving for community, and for some reason, we're not finding it. And I think that's creating all kinds of dysfunctions in our world. There's increasing levels, it seems, of anxiety. This is what the reports say, and that we, we, we're not sure we can trust each other. Not sure I, I feel safe with you or my kids to be safe with you. We're busier than ever. It used to be, you know, that the families worked together on the farm or there was a single income and they, they just spent more time together. But now we're two careers and the kids are going in a thousand directions. We don't have time for relationship. We have all this way of connecting versus techno via technology and yet it seems to perpetuate kind of a shallow connectivity through social media. We move and change jobs more often. Fewer people are really building roots, growing roots in a community. They just keep, keep moving as the, as the job changes and, and the next promotion comes. And just, you know, I talk about this a lot, but you know, look at social media, look at the news. We seem to be more divided around things like politics than ever before. I don't know if we can remember it in this group, you know, generation, but you don't have to go back very far in the history of our country and people didn't move so much. And I'm not saying that was a better time, it was just a different time, but people would be born into a particular community and live their life there. And probably it was the same community that their cousins would grow up in and their parents probably grew up in. And, and you probably did things in your neighborhood. You went to the neighborhood church and you went to the neighborhood school and you played in the neighbor park and you joined the neighborhood baseball league or the neighborhood softball league. And, and if you were a kid growing up, it's very likely that your teacher was somebody that you knew your parents personally. And maybe they were your Sunday school teacher at church or your baseball coach or your scout leader. I did this at 8 o'clock service and the whole congregation was going, yep, they remembered it. They remembered it. And I think what that did was it, it built community in because there were so many overlaps, Right? I do business with you, and I go to the Rotary Club with you, and, and uh, you, you know, my, my sister's married to your cousin, and we just don't have that in the same way that we used to. And so here's what I want to suggest today. I think the world needs community more than ever, and that maybe that's the greatest gift we have to offer, is to say to the world, there's a place, hey, we're here, we'd love for you to come. We'll accept you, we'll love you, we'll make a place for you, you can be yourself here. I think that's what we have to offer. Brene Brown says, we're hardwired for connection. 
It's what gives meaning and purpose to our lives. And if so people can't find it out there in the world, maybe they could find it here. So I want to say to us today, like this isn't a message like, hey, church, do better. I do that sometimes. This is a church to say, y'all, we've got something really good to offer. Like I look around this church and I see the people that come together to make Bethlehem happen. That's community. And I see all of the different groups we have, Bible studies. Some of you guys have been meeting for, for a long time. And I see the relationships you have. And I see the folks that come around and serve around our food ministries. And we have this new dinner church. And, and I see the choir, the connection they have, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If you're not part of one of those groups, find it. I want to shift you. If you're, if you're kind of in that I attend church mode, to I want to challenge you to get into the I belong to church mode. The men's ministry had breakfast yesterday, right? I mean, it's like there's, there's these places you can connect. We have this new thing happening on Tuesday nights, faith and life. Come and connect with a group of people and that offer it. Because I believe your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers are hungry for it. I'll end with this. Andy Stanley says there should be something about us, the church, that causes unchurched people to gather around at the periphery and stare. I think what he means is there's something about the quality of our relationships. There's something about the quality of how we are united in the spirit that people go, I want in. How do I get in? How can I be part of that? It's magnetic. So Lord, I pray you increase our magnetism. Maybe you could be so real in us, so alive in us, so present in us and among us that others would just be drawn to this. And Lord, when there's divisions among us, and there are from time to time, heal those divisions. Protect us, Lord, from those divisions. Lord, when we fall into that pattern of just attending, move us to belonging in your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about First Church and our ministries, visit us online at welovefirst.church.